down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. episode 148 but this episode i think will be going out um to the greater audience as well i don't think this one is going behind the paywall because I, I i have a funny feeling this might be my last ninth edition podcast this might be the very Ooh. last one and i'm very happy to be joined by two of uh two two of my really most favorite guys they've been growing on me they've been growing on all of us they've come along very recently but they've made such a freaking impact on this game i'm joined by vic vijay and david gaylard from team ignite and the fireside 40k podcast welcome boys how you doing oh thanks for having us adam this is awesome thank you man yeah thanks for having us adam you're actually uh adam is one of my favorite um i'd probably actually say adam you're my favorite uh 40k commentator i think because you got so much passion for the game and you uh, didn't even pay us yeah. for that one dave didn't yeah no <laughs> um uh, but um just such a you got so much energy for the game and like i really like appreciate people who are just like they just love the game for the game's sake and like you would Thank still you. be doing it regardless if you didn't make any money or anything off it so yeah i've always thought that was a, a really awesome part of it so oh, anyway i've got the niceties out of the way of <laughs> yeah, don't, make, don't, don't go too much further i have to bleep it <laughs> but tell us it's like, straight off the back of a very successful birmingham team tournament where you guys came in first place and uh, had enormous success uh with team ignite and um we're here to talk about essentially uh, your guys perspective on this ninth edition because well for both of you it's the first full edition of 40k you will have mm-hmm. played so they're quite you're both quite new to it but because of that i think it's a very unique perspective. Your your judgment is, is not clouded by any past biases like mine mm-hmm. might be. So this is going to be a really cool discussion. Um, kicking it off straight up, we'll, we'll get you guys to do some nice juicy plugs on the back end for all your various wares. But Vic, first impressions of this edition, mate. What did you think about it after your first couple of games or the first time you went through the core rulebook? Oh, you know, I'm trying to reflect back on that that period of time because um, the transition between eighth to ninth was a period of time where I was starting to become a little bit better at competitive 40k. Yeah, starting to uh, kind of understand the game at a slightly higher level. And that transition, when ninth edition came out, essentially the first full edition I was going to be playing in, I actually um, went in pretty deep on reading all of the rules. The period of time that it released, if I remember correctly, coincided quite a bit with um, coronavirus and the lockdown during then. Um, so it was it was quite a fumbled period of time. But I remember reading the core rules when they came out, and it was it's kind of in the middle of 2020. And um, I was thinking there are consistent improvements across the board for competitive play on the core rules in the rulebook. And I think yep. that take did kind of carry through um, my impression of ninth edition. And I think the strongest bit of ninth edition was the core game mechanics, um, including kind of the terrain rules and mm. all the different phases mm. of the game. They simplified it while still keeping the game engaging and allowing you to express player skills. So my first impression, pretty, pretty overall positive when ninth edition dropped. Uh, David, I don't suppose you have many other editions to compare this to, but you do come from a very strong esports background. How would you say yeah. the the rules of 40k hold up, say, to the rules of uh, your relevant insert popular yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's how a lot of people, I guess, from who are like myself, kind of the new age, you know, in air quotes, um, of 40k players who compare everything to like esports as opposed to the mm. previous editions. Um, I did play a little bit of the end of eight, just a tiny bit, and then after I moved to England, lockdown. So um, that was basically my experience. But 
I remember thinking the first two big things were um, you could only fight units that you charge, which yep. was um, way different from eighth, where you could like fight twice and um, fight, you know, pile into stuff that you haven't charged. I remember that like my initial thing being like, oh, melee's going to be a terrible because that's how it gets done now. But um, yeah, then I think the biggest change was like obscuring, right? That was a huge uh, yeah change for the game, all, all for the better as well, right? Um, and we've seen the terrain really develop uh, from from the early ninth edition all the way to the end. And I remember playing on because basically what happened is ninth edition launched, and I was playing. I was in lockdown, so I was playing TTS. So I was probably one of the OG TTS players um, way back, man, at the beginning of twenty twenty. Uh, and yeah, just seeing the evolution of the maps and stuff like that. Um, mature from maps that were horrendously bad to mm. maps that were getting a little bit more balanced between combat and shooting and, and all that stuff and obscuring playing like probably the most key role in that and um the, the biggest thing was uh where the bases were on the terrain right so if it was a hard yeah. L it had no base only lips yeah. and stuff like that so yeah I, I guess those are two of the couple of largest changes right and um yeah, it's good to see that I, I think that they've carried them on uh, in the into 10th edition because um, I think they're a really fundamental way about how we play the game. Mm. <laughs> Easy done. Well, sticking with you, David, give us a little bit of your what's your journey through this 9th edition. How did you start? How how engaged were you? How much did coronavirus cost you in hindsight? Wow. Uh, just for clarification, have we played 9th for three and a half years? Uh, uh, yes. Like halfway through 2023. Uh, right? I think it's three. It's three? just under okay. three. It, it will okay, be it right. will be two years and eleven months if it if it goes away halfway through June. Wow, that's <laughs> Jesus. Time has flown by. Holy, <laughs> um, wow, three years. Jeez, uh, um, yeah. So I mean, I, I started playing a lot on TTS um, when tenth when ninth edition came out, and that's basically where I got all my reps in. And and only, it was only when ninth edition really started. Un, uh, sorry, when the UK started coming out of lockdown, where I I got to actually play against people in real life and i actually played against the tournament um and i played boris mitchev who owns badman cafe yeah he's a part of our team member now i played him in the second round of an rtt and, and <laughs> this was terrible you know I, I just had models that i put together i was like oh malaceptor and all this stuff and and malaceptor was awful back then yeah um and he had like um he had like the massive like land raider report execution or something like that and like drew notes and stuff and he was like, oh, how many tournaments you played? And I was like, this is my first real-life tournament I've ever played. And he was like, what do you mean your first real-life tournament? Like, isn't that the only way to play 40K? And I was like, no, no, because I, I play online and stuff like that. And um, we had a blast. But, yeah, I mean, it's been um, ups and downs. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of changes. I've gone from not winning anything at all to coming out on the other side of it, of um, winning not really being as important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and the crescendo there is... Uh, you know, winning super majors back to back, starting a team where we just have an absolutely monstrous lineup of amazing and um, really awesome human beings. That's probably my my proudest part about the ninth edition. Um, but you know, you never really forget the ones that you're first. So I never, always remember my first GT, my first super, my first <laughs> major. Everyone was there first. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been good, man. Like. Um, you know the community is so awesome. Like the like the game has changed so much in the community, but it's it's the community actually that's changed the most. I think over the three years, uh, I don't think GW as a company is recognizable in relation to its competitive stance um, as it was in the in mid twenty twenty as it is today now. That's um, yeah, which yeah, that's is big. which is awesome. I think it's probably the biggest change, and their attentive to, attentiveness to the competitive scene is fantastic. But in, at the same time, you know the UKTC um, UK tournament circuit 
over here is just massive. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's run at such an amazing standard, and you have the best players, uh, some of the best players in the world playing there. Um, on a monthly basis, you rock up, oh, 250 players, 300 players. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, know, um, I'm yeah. so jealous. I'm so yeah. very, very jealous. Uh, Vic, going with yourself, mate, give us a bit of your uh, journey through this edition. What did you play for the majority of it? And mm-hmm. yeah, how engaged do you feel like you were? Yeah, I mean, um, I was looking through the releases of Codex and like seeing what the order was uh, to try and get my um, my thoughts in order. And I've actually played a hu- large proportion of these Codexes that have been released, if wow. I think about it. So I, I, I did swap between armies quite a bit, but there's a few armies which I kept coming back to. I mean... Um, uh, I, I kind of kept jumping back to Aldari where possible. Um, I, after the release of the Aldari Codex, uh, about you know two years after the, oh man, it's only about a year ago <laughs> the Eldari Codex dropped. But yeah. um, when that dropped, I kept jumping back to that Codex where possible. Prior to that, the Eldari Codex was quite mech heavy in order to be effective. It wasn't a playstyle that was very um, kind of very interesting, uh, in my opinion. Um, so prior to the Eldari Codex dropping, I kind of played Drukhari when they were broken. I played Sisters when they first released. I played uh, Tau Empire uh, when they dropped and they were broken. Um, so I kind of jumped through. And, uh, the <laughs> fact that I here, <laughs> the fact hmm. that I said that there are so many factions during that middle period of time that were broken um is is quite an indicative factor of uh kind of the balance that went through the middle and early stages of this edition you're absolutely right there's there's like a middle year the mm. first year of nine <laughs> is pretty stable up until Drakari. i think Drakari was about nine months in give or take mm-hmm. yeah. um, and then we have just like a hellaciously hellscaped Kind of eighteen months afterwards, mm-hmm. um, haymaker after haymaker of codex. Exactly. Well, we ha- so it's weird. Yeah, we had this kind of we had this kind of um, becalming stage in the middle where we had the the night books and stuff like that, GSC, um, a couple around there, and then we went from that into the block that of of codexes that contained Tau, Custodes, Nids, and everything just and Eldari, and then we were just like, okay, I, I guess we're on crazy train now. Yeah, orcs <laughs> in there as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I think orcs was in the reason block before that if i remember right yeah it, like it can't, the, the kind of three yes. gsc block yeah mm. oh yeah yeah it, it kind of they would release a broken codex was so they'd release drakari try and, and and then admec came straight afterwards so we were kind of yeah, getting dude. slapped from both sides and <laughs> they would kind of adjust a little bit like they tried to fix drakari they tried to fix fix admec it kind of didn't work but it worked enough that we were happy and then boom orcs landed and then custodies yeah. and tau landed yeah. uh, and and then it doesn't get any better because immediately after that we had the void weavers drop and then tyrannids mm-hmm. drop immediately mm-hmm. after uh, so dude. that was month after also. month oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I met all you boys when you rocked up in what 2022 to LVO. Yeah. Um, all of you playing Crusher, right? Yeah. That was Melican, just, I, yeah. Don't drag the, me into that. The, the, the Crusher family. Were you, you, you weren't there, were you? I, I wasn't there. I didn't do no, that. That's one. Right. No, that's yeah, right. Yeah. But I remember I remember that little posse rock of the, the Brits rocking up, and I'm like, uh, well, and, and David, and I'm just like, Crusher, 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 Crusher. <laughs> I can see this was with you as well, that's right. And it, it, was a, it was a Crusher stan, as we like to call uh, <laughs> but, what, um, what, I, get, I was going to say, Vic, what was your favorite faction you think you, you played? 
What was Ooh. the one that you got the most enjoyment out of? Look at them making the content. Good stuff, David. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. Uh... No, th- there were there were a few. I mean, I I really loved when Hail of Doom was good, and oh. uh, I just <laughs> loved the way that army played. I know everyone hated to play against it because it had a, a <laughs> lot of swooping hawks in there, but I think it's because I jumped onto it quite early um, onto yeah. that archetype, and yeah. um, it, it almost felt like I had developed a list, an, an archetype. Yeah. Well, and I remember. I, I remember doing meta analysis and being like, "Yep, yeah, that's a Vic list. That's a Vic list. <laughs> that's a Vic list." So that's a thing. That's synonymous with me now too. So it was. And, sorry, and that's the first time that's happened in my like since I started playing 40k. Like people associated a list archetype which was successful with me, yeah. um, and that, that was that was awesome. So that's probably the one that stays in and, and kind of highlights for me. Um, yeah. c- can I guess which one your one was, Dave? <laughs> Oh, if I might not get it, I'm see. It's either the Admech or the Leviathan. It's I don't think it was. No, actually, neither of those. No, the one that I enjoyed the most. It wasn't either of those actually. Mm. I really enjoyed uh, Thousand Suns and Flamers. That was my um, play. Really loved that. But um, you know, in all seriousness, I've been really enjoying the Guard too. The Guard have been uh, really, really fun player skill wise, expression wise. Uh, I've been uh, enjoying that too. But um, I guess if you had Hail of Doom, I had Leviathan Tyranids, right? Yeah, you kept uh, me in check. I um <laughs> I I kind of uh, archetyped did that list uh, and then that got played a lot replicated and then uh, I got fortunate enough to um kind of win the first big uh, super major with guard as well that was the fun with the born soldiers list and the sentinels and nice stuff. oh with yeah, the sentinel spam I remember that yeah yeah uh, and then recently been playing the uh, superior armored superiority and swift as the wind which is um it's been cool as well but um I, I think guard might have been the might have been the funnest. There so, you go. Um, really nice. cool codex. Yeah. All right. Um, what has been your opinion of the balanced starter slate and chapter approved systems that have really come into their own in this edition? We'll start with yourself, Vic. Um, so I think the approach to balance is probably one of the the key things about ninth edition. Um, and the initial balanced data slate that dropped was at a moment where uh, one of the bleakest moments of ninth edition. It dropped when we were kind of surrounded by six admic flyers, and yeah. half of the factions were utterly rubbish um, in the game. And then we had this this moment of kind of hope from Games Workshop when they dropped a balanced data slate that was actually very sensible. It, it, it had enough impact while still not completely destroying the game. And I think their first balance change was to introduce a two-flyer two limit to the game. And it, whilst that didn't actually correct flyers, because we still ended up with lists that had two flyers dominating, we had the two harpies and the two sunshark bombers, it correct. did show um, an approach that was you know, quite promising for future updates. And I think that first balanced data slate, and then every you know number of months we had further balanced data slates, were really good until the very last one, which was a little bit, ugh, didn't really do anything. Uh, and they kind of missed the mark on the main, one of the main problems with Desolation Marines. Um, but before that, I thought they were so on the ball with um, with their balanced data slate. So I think that's a very impressive part of this edition. Yeah, I think um, actually the first balanced data slate wasn't aircraft, was it? It was um, Vanguard going from four up auto wound for one CP to um, two CP five up auto wound, and Skatari Rangers going from eighty shots to sixty. Oh, I think that was the enough. very first incarnation of was it. Was that a balanced uh, data wrong, slate but... uh, or just an uh, FAQ kind of thing? 
I don't remember, mm. but that, I remember playing a tournament, mid-tournament, it getting dropped, and I was like, oh. Because <laughs> 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 that one CP auto wound of four-up was just, oh, man. Wild, man. <laughs> Motarian Wild. just bonked dead. Yeah, um, moving on from that, I guess extrapolating that into some other portions, what do we think about the way G-Dub has done Armies of Renown and, I guess, supplements this edition? Because this is one where I think they could cop a fair bit of criticism. Rather than using these things to balance or enhance the viability of more units, like they did, you know, they had all the great intentions in the world with the uh, Zangor Brayherd. (laughs) 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 Poor thing didn't even touch the sides. This is what I believe they should be doing with these things, rather than giving us Cult of Strife, which makes the rich richer and Bloody Rose, which really just means that you can't play any other portion of the Sisters of this is a battle book because Bloody Roach just gets so much more. What do we think about this as a system that they've really instigated in Ninth? Because we've seen that you guys probably have been around long enough to know that they've been doing formations and special attachments, all these things, consistently for the last decade. But this iteration, I believe, has got a lot of problems. Yeah, I think you're right in that. That's, pro- that's probably one of the most patchiest things that they've gotten right. It's like either they've been very, very good or it's been like terrible. Uh, like the Zangor Shaman one was awful. Uh, Crusher Stampede was obviously insanely good. Possibly the best best I've ever done, by the way. Yeah, I think you could probably argue that, right? Um, It certainly took something from like a 20 to like a 100 um, overnight, just because you could stack so many rules here. Like, I don't know why they did that. Well, and Um, so so we'll talk about Crusher is almost its own beast. I'll I'll jump on in the end. You you guys have your say. Yeah, I mean, you had Leviathan there as well, right? Um, Which I guess was a codex supplement, but wasn't an army of renown. Um, One that I feel like the approach they need to take from this from now on is just to say, look at a faction and what units are not getting played and make an army of renown just around that. Like, what's that? Um, Is it the Vashtor model for the Cal Space Marines? Yep. The the huge guy for the uh, vehicles? Like, that was a really awesome opportunity for them to just completely rebalance something that's terrible. Uh, so yep. like taking the Crusher Stampede, you know, um, vibe, so to speak, and then applying it to that, to models, which basically have no use anymore, which is Correct. what happened to Crusher, but Crusher, they just overturned it quite a bit. Right. Um, so I think I would like to see them take that approach going forward. I do think it's fun because, you know, it's like it limits some things, but you get bonuses like, um, Disciples of Bellacor. Actually, I think Disciples of Bellacor has probably been the best all round one they've designed. It has some serious restrictions that mean you have to diversify, but you get bonuses, but it's not overpowered. And here in the UK, we do see those lists crop up a bit. So I think that's, thematically, I think that's probably the one that they should aim to replicate all in all, right? Vic, what are your thoughts? Um, I I mean, I think Dave's hit the nail on the head, but I want to make a point about, I don't think they've learned their lesson from the game balance. (laughs) I'm just going to say, I'm ready for a rant. Are you guys ready? So because the way that they've um, presented the 10th edition rules so far on their previews shows detachment abilities and then stratagems associated with the particular detachment. And I think individual kind of, faction um, rules that go that deep are extremely difficult to balance because all it takes is for you to make one set much more powerful than all the others to throw all the kind of internal and external balance out of whack. And that's been shown in a in ninth edition when we had kind of Crusher Stampede, uh, Cult of Strife, these things, which end up limiting your army choices. Yeah. And I think they're going to make the same mistake, but multiplied um, in in tenth edition based on what I can see, unless they get it absolutely perfect. But it's really tough to get that correct. 
Mm. Yeah, because it's not exactly as if you're rebalancing anything. You're just adding something on top. It's completely optional. Yeah. Players can either choose not to play it or or, or choose to play it. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no downside to, to implementing something like that for the player, right? It's only a buff. You just pick yeah. the one that's best and stick with it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it really risks the internal balances of many factions. It's much the same, much like well, you could you could almost look at these like little detachments as their um, armies of renown, so to speak. You yeah. can definitely see some ones that start to have restrictions in, it, like say, well, this one must have you know more fast attacks than X Y Z. This one must be hmm. everyone must be in a transport or some crap, and yeah. you get another bonus. And this could be the the route we're going down, you know, because I fully expect. For there to be a Dark Angels, you know, um, when mm-hmm. Dark Angels get their own rules, Dark Angels have their own detachment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Could yeah. very like a Drakari book that very well has its own detachment for Homunculus Covets, for Witch Witch Cults, for Cabals, you know, etc. Um, so there is a lot of depth that they can play around here, and yeah, but they, you're right, they do risk a lot of internal balance, and they do uh, risk upsetting the Apple Cart, which is exactly what Crusher Stampede did. So <laughs> Crusher Stampede, I feel like I could do a whole case study on Crusher. Um, <laughs> It is possibly the best, most complete, holistic buff that I've ever single that I've ever seen in a single document. Um, not even the Decurian detachments of Seventh um, Edition, I believe, were as, as all-encompassing as Crusher. So it took one of the bottom five factions, if not a bottom three faction, the worst units in the that worst. portion, the absolute of, worst, man. The, <laughs> dude, the worst units in that bottom three <laughs> faction, and made that. The equal best or best army in the game, like yeah. But to be fair, crap. those models, those models are pretty sweet. Like the Scythe Hierogel is a sweet model. They're you know? cool. Uh, it's also one hundred twenty-five quid, but <laughs> yeah, everyone was happy to play with their cool, sweet, stompy models. And the first time yeah. we'd seen Monster Mash actually at the top tables in, jeez, I want to say, I want to say editions, like yeah, where since yeah, Monster Mash has um, been the premier way to play. Sorry, go go. It just had some things that you could spam, right? So, like, I think it would have been all right, maybe, if it just didn't have the six mortal wounds on the charge thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, yeah. that's really what pushed it over the edge. And every well, turn, you would just be like, six mortal wounds. six, And you would be like, well, I roll it equal to the number of wounds I have or something, and it's 18 yeah. dice, and I'll three up, you take a mortal. Like, do you want me to roll it, man? And they're like, yes. no, <laughs> yeah, six mortal wounds. Uh, <laughs> so, for me, it was the fact that they had uh, mission play as well. So it's all. It would have been totally fine if they were just the worst knight army. They just cool, cool. Uh, all their monsters got better. We can play the big stompy monster game now. But they're also like they're on par for like some, one of the best mission play armies in the game at the time, and that was just like the absolute OTT moment there. Yeah, yeah, because that was back when Stranglehold was in as well. So yeah, correct. There uh, was also to, a strategy to, to make them obsolete. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to the last as well. Yeah, so you could put to the last on your hive guard. And your swarm lord and one other guy, I think, was what you would do sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Did you play any army renowns, Adam? Um, oh, geez, I don't know if I did actually. I don't think I played a single one this edition because uh, I don't think Dark Angel, Dark Angel didn't have any irrelevance, and that's pretty much yeah. all I played. It was um, a Death Watch one, right? That was like a pretty, uh, was pretty good one that, oh. that kind of hit the mark. I would say, right? Yeah, you have you have exactly four units in your army, but those four units can do anything <laughs> at all times. <laughs> and I think that was, it was really cool, right? Yeah. Um, good design, a little bit complicated. Uh, yeah. I've had the pleasure of playing them a little bit, so I kind of understand them now. But yeah, well, from the outskirts, that one looks very complicated to use. But had some really sick strats, like auto wound on hit. Like that, right? Yeah, like everything. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. Vic, anything to add on this point? Uh, no, I think we're we're good, man. I mean, what I would say about game balance and mission scoring is the like 
wide fluctuation in GW's ability to balance secondaries across this uh, this edition, mm. um, which actually I think was probably one of the weakest points in initial yeah. balancing. Um, and it's been an issue that's gone through um, the entire edition because even when we had their initial secondaries, just the rulebook secondaries, they were a little bit all over the place, but then they did make adjustments to that. But in a way, each time they made adjustments, they just made a new set of secondaries a little bit better than the rest, yeah. rather than actually balancing them all around each other. And you can see that in the movement between stranglehold to engage on all fronts and now to behind enemy lines. Correct. Why, why was there not a point where all three of them were of a similar kind of value? Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they kind of messed up the balance between them. And that continued to the point when we got the faction secondaries introduced. There was a wide range of power levels of the faction secondaries, which weren't always yep. in line with the power level of the faction. So just because a faction was really strong, a way of balancing would have been to give them slightly weaker secondaries, but they didn't really follow that. They were a little bit all over the place between them. And, um, you know, I think it would have been amazing if the faction secondaries were used as a kind of a replacement for some of the rulebook secondaries, but gave you a very flavorful way of playing the mission without being necessarily extremely strong. And quite often they miss the mark on that across the secondaries. Uh, I don't know if you guys kind of think the same kind of thing. No, I agree. Like there were some factions that had awful secondaries, right? Like, um, you know, Turnits, for example, had just awful secondaries. They, what they did is they turned their data sheets up to 11 but the secondaries yeah. are terrible. Yeah. And it's, it's like, come on, t- guys, there must be a midpoint. <laughs> Tyranids is the one they got right, in a way. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. The, the other ones, they kind of didn't. Uh, like, you look at Sisters, they were really good with insane faction secondaries. And how do you look at one faction secondaries, like the Sisters ones, and then another factions, and, and try and compare the two when they're so vastly different in power level? Yeah. Um, I, I do I think from... Mm. I was just going to say, I do think from a game design perspective, I've always said this, it gave them another lever to balance factions. And I think that was a very smart thing to do because you can see a faction like Necrons go from literal garbage to like a very, you know, S tier, the best, um, just with an introduction and and clarification and improvement of secondary. So like, that's a very direct lever, right? It's like, well, shock is, you know, it's like, well, sorry, um, uh, shock tactics, right? It's three points. Okay. Well, that's like, kind of okay four points well it's better than three points so that should directly affect the win rate in theory so it's like a direct implementation they can have to adjusting the balance so i I like the concept of it but you're right it's there was so much discrepancy between those that did and those that didn't have factual news so i I think there needs to be a distinction made especially with necrons because i think there was a bit of a difference between using secondaries to make an army more viable or to round out an army list and then what they did was give necrons the best secondaries of all time (laughs) and there needs to be we need to acknowledge that it wasn't just like trying to improve them like this they wanted to they wanted to see i think i truly think that was an experiment to be like well if we just gave them busted secondaries can it make the worst army in the game better is this if we pull this lever hard enough will it make a big enough difference and the, the, the answer is yes. If you give them just like, we got tabled on turn uh, three, we still got 45 on our secondaries. And you um, know what's interesting is uh, from a business perspective, it's very easy to um, to create a faction's secondaries to be very strong all of a sudden and then that ramp up model sales, right? It's very, yes, very dude. easy to do that. Like it doesn't take, for example, 
printing a whole PDF book and all that stuff and go through the design team and the release team, they just go, oh, we'll just turn all the secondaries up. And then yeah, everyone was just, like, oh, I'm a Necron player now. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's well, a business model, right? But, see, but well, that's exactly right. Was that it was that experiment just as much of a marketing experiment as it was a, a thing? Like, can we just see this, see this document we put out once every three months? Can we just like double the sales by slapping some secondaries in there? You know? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I thought GW were actually doing this on purpose after after I got punched enough by GW's broken codexes. <laughs> I, I thought, okay, you know what? They they're doing this on purpose just to like spike up sales. But then there was a moment where GW completely changed their tact on something and yeah. did something they haven't done before, which was nerf the leagues of Votan before they were released. Correct. And I think that goes directly against the idea that they're trying to push sales through and they were yes. actually thinking about faction balance and, and the health of the game yeah that that one thing has given me so much hope that the intentions of games workshop to create a good competitive scene are actually are actually good yeah. um so here's, here's well, fingers crossed for that Vic segue perfecto um because that is one of the talking points because that is it's the first time that has ever happened and it's a it, it's, it's a thing that it's, it's a talking point of the edition a codex got nerfed before it was released see i think i think this is a, a, a as a consumer i think this is a horrific thing Mm. absolutely terrifying completely like hurts my confidence in the company and the the product that i'm purchasing this book of rules in that mm. it was invalidated before i got to own the book mm-hmm. <clears throat> now there's been a lot of said lots said to how hard they went how hard they didn't go and i think i do think they went overboard they were a bit heavy-handed mm-hmm. with their nerfs um i think they either could have done rules or points but doing both was a bit too much yeah, i would much rather a votan come in as still a STF faction, but not a world ender, and then adjust from there, like like Tyranids got to, like Tau mm-hmm. got to, like everyone else got to, rather than them coming in meekly with their first model range and you know a little less fanfare. Is this something we want G Dub to do? As in, be this proactive. I know Vic, you've just come up with a pretty positive stance, but it is very dramatic what they did. Okay, let me let me let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. I'm going to flip the script. Flip the script on you, Adam. <laughs> Do it. Let's say, for example, all the tenth edition things get leaked, right? And there is something just atrociously busted, like like unbelievably busted. There right? probably and is. WTC right? is just around the corner, right? I mean, it probably yeah. Okay, just for just for clarification, Vic and I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, it's hypothetically, would you want the same action to be taken, um, knowing that a big tournament like WTC is right around the corner? Uh, I mean, hundred percent. So, so as a, as a consumer, as a person purchasing a product, the confidence is absolutely bust. But I was just coming at it from the counterpoint to where Vic was coming from, which, which I absolutely agree with. As a, as a competitive player, as a tournament enjoyer, please continue, G Dub. This is great. Stop the game <laughs> yeah. from being imbalanced and broken. But like, I know so many people who were who didn't buy that book and get invested in that faction because they were just like, well, I'll just wait till and see what their 10th edition rules are now rather than yeah. buying a book. Like, it was their first codex. <laughs> the first one for the faction. And yeah. the only thing people are going to remember for it are the, th- are the bits about the bits in the book that aren't in the book, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I yeah. don't think it would have done the, f- the faction, the community, anything, any positive. Uh, it wouldn't have been a positive for that Leagues of Otan Codex to be released as it was. And I think overall, they missed the mark a little bit. And they they could have probably balanced them a little less harshly uh, to still keep them as a bit more flavorful on the board. Um, but 
I think overall they've gained goodwill with what they've done there. And you can see it across the last eight codexes that they released towards the end of ninth edition. There's definitely been some change in philosophy as they went through it. And after Tyrannus, they went Chaos Knights, Imperial Knights, Chaos Space Marines, Chaos Demons, Leagues of Votan, Astro Militarum, and World Eaters. And I would say, except for Leagues of Votan, which they got wrong and then they adjusted, all of those have been extremely flavorful, powerful, yeah. and well-balanced codexes. Um, yeah. Astro Militarum, okay, a tiny little tweak, but even without the tweak, I think Astro Militarum's power level was slightly overrated in the competitive scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. I think all of those were nowhere near the broken levels of the previous kind of 10 codexes before that. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think they've won a lot of goodwill between all of the actions they've done and shown that, look, we're not going to introduce another extremely broken codex on purpose here. We're going to make sure that the game is still flowing well and the competitive scene continues to grow. So, perfect example. We've got David here who's been playing Guard uh, exclusively for the last couple of months. Was the was the power of the Guard codex overinflated, or was it people just were <clears throat> decrying it because of what we what the, we just seen them proactively do to Votan, and because it was coming into pretty calm, stable waters you know i'm gonna um i'm gonna try and be as unbiased as possible the guard codex was nowhere near as powerful as people were making it out to be um and and i've got a little bit of barometer because i always i always do this when i go into tournaments you know i talk to people all the time i'm always turning to people i'm like oh you know how have you found guard you know and and nine times out of ten most people would go oh you've played against them a few times i just beat them every time and i was like oh i was like that's interesting because the reality is, is the Codex had a, had, a, had a ton of limitations in it. Um, and so, like, for reference, Vic and I, uh, I, I said after LVO, I was like, I'm going to look for a new army to play. I think Guard might be a direction to go in. And um, Vic just used to crush me, like, every single game, man. Like, oh, my God. I got so tilted some games. Um, and and the reason why is because the Codex didn't have everything in it, right? It didn't have, like, I would give anything just to get Vanguard veterans in Guard. Like a 12-inch fly, <laughs> infantry. What do, you mean? <laughs> you know, what, like... what do you mean? Rough Riders don't do it for you? That oh, sweet oh cavalry God. keyword, you know? Oh, God, so bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously they had some things that were really strong, right? Like Kaskin was strong. Um, yeah. The Finial, I don't think was anywhere near, like, for example, I don't think God was anywhere near as good as the other codex that got busted, right? And Correct. Yep. Um, it, you needed to play with a lot of player skill and agency to do well, and I think... Um, you know, Vic, actually, Vic can be the be the true test on this one. But I think if you look at the winning guard lists uh, and you look at who's been successful on guard, it's very it's actually a very limited player pool. And if you look at the tournaments, um, it's actually almost it's okay. It's it's actually almost me that's won very very large <laughs> tournaments with, with good terrain with good terrain. You were trying um, not to. You're you glorious, Dave. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you were trying not to just be like, well. It's me, guys. Hi. Uh, I mean, my name's David. Yeah, but like, and and for example, one of those tournaments I won on the cusp of um, playing the new book with a pretty innovative list, and then the second tournament I came like second in uh, Warhammer Fest. I was playing like a completely off the wall archetype no one had seen before, um, specifically designed for the train the tournament. And like, I think that's a good example of a codex where if you put the dedication into it, like it is powerful and very flexible, but it has limitations and. Um, you know, you need to play very tight to, to make it work well. So what else do you want in a codex, right? It doesn't sta- it doesn't actually stat check people unless you're playing on no terrain boards. I don't know, Vic. You oh, can, you can you, you're bang me. on, man, because it's it's about being strong, 
without being broken. Broken mm. ends the game. The competitive scene just becomes everyone brings nine void weavers or, mm-hmm. you know, so whatever, 100 orc buggies or something. Um, mm. But a strong codex is the rules are in there. It's very strong, but only the p- people with high player skill will win the, the events and do mm-hmm. extremely well with them. And I think the Astro Militarum Codex was perfect because it was really good with some bits that were like, okay, look, the Finial's a little bit ridiculous, Kazakin a little bit ridiculous. So let's FAQ and adjust just those tiny little points rather yeah. than the chaos that was caused to the, the meta when Tau and Custodes dropped or Orcs dropped or Eldar and Tyranids dropped, you know? Um, so I think Astro Militarum's power level was probably the power level that people can aim for with their codexes. And, um, you know, Honestly, I don't think Astro Militarum are that much more powerful than, say, Chaos Demons or even Chaos Space yeah. Marines when they came, Emperor's Children when they first came out. Yeah. Um, and it's just I wouldn't the, say they're are yeah. they top five. I don't think they're a top five faction at the moment. I was watching the Statchik um, uh, ninth recap video actually, and I think they were like the sixth or seventh highest win rate. Um, I mean, I, I would, I would know, not you know look at that because um, <laughs> right. you know, you know the rule. Those boys, there's two, there's two constants in 40k. Well, it's probably like three or four, but two of those constants is that guard and orcs will never have a big win rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Up. There are too many people who are just uh, treadhead enjoyers who just want to slap their bane blade down, no matter what the meta is. Same goes for orcs who just want to play. You know. Uh, a hundred boys yell one, run at you while, you know, pounding an entire six pack at once. These kind of people. Um, and we need them. We love them. They're the lifeblood and the freaking the best. Some of the best parts of our community are those, are those individuals. Absolutely enjoy it. But they, they will hurt your win rate undeniably. But the, uh, so there was a really interesting thing that happened. Um, we were, I, uh, some of our teammates were playing Manchester, uh, Brian site, and uh, we were on discord chatting and there were, Go, after round four, there were four guard players undefeated, and yep. I made a bet with someone, and I said, I bet you in the next round there will they be no lose. undefeated guard players. Yeah. Uh, and they all lost in the fifth round. As soon as they hit a good player, they all lost. And I was like, yeah, it's, I'm, it's not really that surprising, right? Because you have to be extremely so, um, you know, onto it to get you know to break the point. And I, UKTC doesn't really have, like... I mean, I've seen a couple of big guard tanks, but like for yep. the most part, you know, it's, it's um, pretty soulless over here, I'd say, yeah. Well, that's that's going to bring us to our next point. Now, jumping off guard a little bit because we covered it pretty well. Uh, what do we think of Terrain this edition? Because you boys didn't play through sixth and seventh and eighth and whatnot, but Terrain <laughs> has, mm, for the most, for the majority of the last couple of editions, been a non-event. Uh, mm. Eighth edition, it pretty much didn't matter. Terrain was kind of not a thing. Um, and it was one of the big things that they promised would matter in this one. It turns out as we're all hilarious, right? We, we spent all of eighth edition bickering upon, which is the best way to play the game, ITC, WTC, rule with missions, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then we all play the same missions and immediately start bickering about, which is the best table layout to play on WTC, <laughs> ITC, UKTC. Um, Vic, what has been your impression of terrain this edition? So I had a little bit of comparison with eighth edition. Because that was where I think we saw the development of kind of larger L's get introduced into terrain, solid L's to block you and you can hide behind them. Uh, you know, we saw it in, in the UK, at least. That's that's the bit I know. We saw it with LGT terrain start to develop. And then Glasshammer terrain was a big push as well as Vanguard tactics. And yep. that kind of pushed through into ninth edition. And... Um, we then started to get the UKTC format come into play with um, kind of uh, the 
the LGT terrain developing into that. And I think we got a little bit lucky because we we ended up with a very balanced terrain set that was individual to each mission that was played. And between Glasshammer Vanguard Tactics and the UKTC, all three of these terrain formats were actually very, very well thought out. Um, yep. And then just over, you know, the sea, we have um, a WTC played across Europe, and we're influenced by that side of things as well. And I think the terrain rules have worked out incredibly well over here, and we've ended up with a system that doesn't necessarily overly favor melee, overly favor shooting. It has a nice mixture of terrain, which affects like really big models, infantry, and vehicles in different ways. And we've also made use of dense cover defense lines and some of the more interesting terrain options terrain traits um so overall i think this is a very strong terrain set but it's only good because the uk scene has adapted it very very well so it's uh, it's molded the meta mm-hmm. yeah mm. couldn't that, say a bit of myself it's been yeah. the most uh, influential thing really hasn't it in so many ways and i think um without alluding to it too directly We've all been to those tournaments. Um, perhaps we might have traveled long distances to play on <laughs> um, terrain sets um, and then realized that uh, that's had a very large impact on the outcome of our game. Um, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> deterministic or not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, I think it's, we've been spoiled here in the UK. And I, yeah, Vic's base, yeah, covered all the notes. It's, it's, uh, I hope that in for 10th edition, we can um, come to the point where we are today sooner so i hope yes. we iterate and experiment yep. faster in the uktc because there's no reason why we can't uh but um it will take time as well like the early terrain is probably going to be like pretty average when we look back on it but um yeah i hope we i hope the uktc and um uk organizers are really onto it and getting player feedback and want to um want to get back into it and start iterating again i like that and i hope i hope that is the case um all right jumping and talking to you a little bit you boys a little more personally um both relatively new players to the high-end competitive scene, well, new players to the competitive game altogether. How well do you think G-Dub has done supporting this competitive game, uh, promoting it, making it a core facet of the product and of the of the entire community? Um, yeah, man. I Look, if I had to give it, you know, if I had to be honest, I think it was the only conclusion you could come to is that I've done quite poorly. And now that may sound strange because I've just talked about how great the community is and everything like that. But the reality is, is that that's a collection of individuals that don't actually work at Games Workshop organizing all of that. So yep. the UKTC, for example, has got nothing to do with Games Workshop. All the, you know, Vanguard Tactics or Glass Hammer Rain or something like that. That's, that's all grassroots community. So if you're looking purely at what Games Workshop have done, I think, you know, the speed at which the balanced data slates come out and the hit and miss of it, um, I'd probably give them a barely passing grade. Um, and, uh, you know, in addition to that, well, and okay, but um, to to give them their dues, the Warhammer Fest tournament I thought was run very well. Uh, there were some kinks in there. It was like a great essay that just had some grammatical errors in it. Um, so the core structure of that was good, And but that's two and a half years after, three years after the edition's launched, right? So yeah. they've kind of come in right at the sweet spot. But, you know, for the most part, I don't really think it's fair to say that they support the competitive community at that much, right? <sighs> yeah. And I I, I'll ask you a question, Dave. How much fate do you have if you gave feedback back to Games Workshop about their second terrain layout, the very open one? 
saying it's imbalanced. Mm. Look, you guys could try moving them like here and there. How, how confident are you that any feedback would ever be listened to or reached or anything? And, I think the answer, rhetorical, the answer to qu- that question <laughs> kind of identifies why the independent parts of the community are so effective at developing and improving the scene. Exactly and, right. um, you know, the less independent those things become, the more worried I would be about stagnation in development. And, yep. you know, potentially that's something that's happening in other countries across the world. And we're lucky in the UK that we haven't had too much of that influence here. And that's yep. why it's probably one of the most successful competitive scenes in the world. And, uh, you know, I think that's just because, I'm um, sorry, if you're an, if you're a listener, that's not the UK, it probably just sounds like we're talking about the UK all the time, but, <laughs> but um, we really do have a receptive um, organization here. So if you, you know, if you think something's not wrong or something like that, they understand that the customer comes first, because that's the only way they make their money is selling tickets to these things. They're not selling tickets because, you know, people might play two events a year and they just, you know, normally play on their kitchen table at their local game store and they want to come play a tournament. No, these are the people that play you know, going to play 10, 12 tournaments a year and yeah. play one a month. And if they pick your one, that's the one they pick you to play. So it's, um, it's, yeah, it's a very competitive marketplace here in the UK and that's been the recipe for success. But having said that, you know, Games Workshop have made a splash in the competitive scene over here in Manchester, the Warhammer Fest. And I, I hope that they continue to run events over here because I think despite the UK being so good, competition is always going to be a good thing for that as well. And um, I, w- I would go and play another one for sure. Oh, nice, sure. yeah. yeah. Look, fairly, fairly well measured, lads. Thank you. Um, power creep. <laughs> Everyone's favourite sticking point. Um, and a case for for why you know, hopefully, that the last twelve months of the edition is what we should remember them for, rather than the rocky eighteen months we detailed in the middle. But Vic, mm-hmm. power creep. Was it real? Or, or if it was, if it isn't creep, how would you describe it? Some people have said it's more like a roller coaster. <laughs> I think I think there was there was power creep, and I think that's probably the correct way of developing your game across an edition for yep. gradual in, kind of increase in that power levels to keep each new release a little bit exciting. And you yep. can see that. Let's say you compare the first Codex Necrons, the way the data sheets are written, compared yep. to say Astra Militarum or World Eaters, you can see the wide disparity in like the AP strength and damage of all the the output. Um, but uh, I, while I think it was real, I don't think it was necessarily as negative as a thing as the spikes in broken codexes that came through uh, mm-hmm. the edition. And those weren't in a gradual kind of creeping nature. Those were in a, you know, have a punch here, have another punch over here. Mm. And then, okay, guys, we're calmed down now. It's a nice meta at the end of the, the edition. Um, so I would say power creep is real, but it's also not a big issue if it's done correctly. Yeah, but it's also a very hard problem to solve, right? Because you're continually building upon a set, right? So, um, you know, lots and lots of games have been like this. Uh, you know, esports games for a long time. Um, you know, World of Warcraft is a classic power creep, of course, um, with damage scaling. Uh, um, and, you know, that's just... I feel like that's just a natural evolution. I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se, but it's when the disparities become too large that it's, um, you know, it's too big. You know, power creep, you know, AP's creeped, but... Some of the biggest, most offensive things were actually just things being too cheap, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyranid Warriors, too cheap, oh, Void Warriors, right too cheap. Free? <laughs> yeah, free, yeah, exactly, right? So, yeah, I think, I think, I don't think, I think GW, if what I hope for 10th edition, what they're not afraid of is, um, 
going super deep and nerdy on um, faction identity. So I would love yep. to see, like, mm, oh, this guardsman's, like, you know, he's got the blah, blah, blah from blah, 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 and the rules are, like, it relates to something, like, super, you know, in the books or something, right? Or, like, this Necron secondary is based upon, like, this dynasty, and you have to be within range of two other, you know, it's like, I would love it if they made all the faction stuff way more specific instead of tried to create um, generic um, secondaries for that. But you know what I would love to see GW do is actually I would love to see them crowdsource um, um, guidelines for faction secondaries and, um, um, yep. you know, like data sheet abilities and stuff, because I know that there would be so many cool uh, people that would come up with like, oh, you, you know, we're releasing this model, you know, maybe have a um, competition for like who can write some rules for it or this weapon profile or something, right? So um, I, I would love to see them do something like that. That'd be, That'd be sick. Um, there would be so many good things to do that. You know, you just got to... You just got to, as Mr. Toyota said, you got to mine the gold. You got to mine the gold in the workers' heads. You know, it's the um, people play the game. You know, they they want to have a say in it. So I hope GW do something like that. Um, you know, Magic does some things like that, uh, which is another kind of direct analogy as well. But yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the crowdsourcing the the parameters. I think that's a great idea. Vic, anything yes. to rebut there? Um, I wanted to make a point here that I think GW, like they have good intentions. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to that, yeah. but I'm going to say as long as they always have a physical product that they're creating here, they'll always have the challenge of not being able to keep up with the digital side of the balancing stuff. And yeah. I think there's still a high risk. So for example, they're releasing all the indexes. Uh, great. They have the ability to balance the indexes, but wait a second, they don't because they're printing data sheet cards related to the index. So therefore, the time when they were balancing it all that time ago with their playtesters who are playing in a completely different edition on one hand and then playtesting a completely different meta on another hand, yeah. it's impossible for them to like identify every absolutely broken thing here. And I think as long as they have a physical product, it will be an inevitability that one or two broken things will come out yeah. consistently over yeah. time. And I think the indexes are, there's a very high chance that we have multiple things which are way out of whack with them. But just because the playtesting process is impossible to be robust enough without last Correct. second changes. Yeah. And you can't do last second changes with, an, with a physical product and a digital product. It has to be only digital. So the second they drop the physical product and just do digital, I think this game will be insanely good. Mm. I, yes, I, I agree. They, I, I think they're making was, a, a positive step with uh, the amount of digital releases they're going to be doing in this mm -hmm. one with all the indexes. But we'll see if that carries through for the rest of it. Sorry, David, what are you going to say? But, but go digital for matched play. Simple, right? Digital yeah. for match play. Yeah. You pay a subscription per month. You got access to everything. Yeah. Uh, only affects you know five percent of your customer base. I'd love to see that. It'd be that would be a huge change for Tent if they could do that. It would be freaking incredible as well. Because <laughs> the right. game, by the way, if you can't tell, all three of us think the game is fantastic. Like that's the reason we've played the game. This has been the most consistent game I've played for any stretch of time. I think really? dedicating the amount of hours I've dedicated to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, typically in esports, yeah. like I played, you know, two years and I played a sponsored team and then I dropped off and stuff like that. But this has been the most consistent game I think I've played for, for especially with the amount of time I've dedicated to it. Um, there you go. Which just shows you it's because it's so difficult to play so well. Um, so I hope we, you know, it's. It's a beautiful game, and you know. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we definitely we definitely do play in the mobas of. Uh, yeah. uh, th thankfully, our community is a little bit less toxic there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, Vic, 
most yes. favouritest thing about this ninth edition, mate, can be a moment, can be a miniature, can be a game, can be an army, can be a freaking anything, can be a data sheet, a rule. Wow. Of this edition, I think... Oh, you see. <laughs> oh, Dave, have you got, I got one? Mine. I got have mine. you got yeah, yours? You, you, you hit yeah. it first, man. This is so hard, but uh, you know what? Um, my team Ignite winning the team tournament last weekend... Um, it was probably just the culmination of so many things. Like we got our design work done, our shirts done. Uh, we just came there and did business. And I think um, nice. for me, that was leaving a team that I, I kind of grew up with playing Weimar with to start um, my team with Vic. And um, it's just a culmination of so much hard work and team tournaments are freaking awesome. So um, yeah, that would be, that'd be my highlight for the whole thing. I think. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I was waiting for you to say something like that because I don't want to say like an individual rule or codex or anything. <laughs> I, I think um, 40K has had an insane impact on the lives of the people around me and myself to be able to be a valued member of a community. Yeah. And I think that has had such a positive impact on my entire life. Yeah. Um, from meeting the close friends I have like Dave and yourself, Adam, to being able to give back and grow and teach and learn myself. Um, I think ninth edition has been the time when all of this has kind of happened for me. So that's my, that's my point. Uh, what, what was your boys? Just I remember sweet. Vic. By the way, I remember Vic. This is a funny game, man. So Vic's playing. Um, this is at Nottingham, right? And Vic's playing for the draw against this Chaos Space Marine player, and, <laughs> and he needs to deny this guy or like at eleven or something. <laughs> and we're recording it at the time. <laughs> There's like four people on the table, and I was recording it for the podcast. Uh, yep. And I was like, Vic's going here for the deny. <laughs> at eleven, and then Rick Vic, oh. Vic fails it. And I remember this. Rolls the 11. <laughs> I remember this. Easy. Easy. Oh, Easy. I had no I had no doubt. <laughs> oh, that was so good, man. Freaking oh, wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. David, sticking with yourself, mate. Most disliked thing of Ninth Edition. Um uh oof. I mean, you know, it's you know, if I'm you know, if I'm being honest, like there was some um the, the thing I don't like about uh, ninth edition, um is is the internet drama and um yep. that may seem a little bit out of left field but uh, you know th- it's because the game's grown so much and the community's grown so large and the you know um people online playing now um i do think that there's a bit of toxicity out there in the community especially on the internet and um that's you know s- some people like that's you know some of the elements like that still exist but uh, i think it, it has gotten a bit better as well but um that's the only thing i i didn't um you know, I don't really like, um, I don't like, I, I'm not, I don't like drama myself. Like I never like getting into it or talking about it or something like that. But um, that's been the only thing that uh, I really, uh, that's actively made me think like, should I play, you know, Warhammer yeah. or something like that. So by all means, if you wanted to have another go uh, in a minute about something directly related to the rules, but that is a great point. It's something where oh. we all, everyone should be trying to be <laughs> cognizant of. I didn't want to poo-poo it, but I was just like, yeah, it's not really okay let me let me yeah. answer again are you going to no, cut that's it fine. out that's fine no, 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 that was actually, it's actually good we need, we need to talk about that more often because um, yeah. it's just it's just unneeded like unneeded negativity and it snowballs and spirals and yeah last thing we want to do is to be, be a rabble with our pitchforks Vic, yeah, exactly yeah. yes least, least favoritist bit so you know when the aldari codex dropped 
There were um, a couple of leaks here and there, but they were all pretty rubbish. We didn't really know what was going on with the Eldar Codex. And when it released, the version that released, all the playtesters were like, oh, this is actually really different from what we thought it was. Um, And when I got that Eldari Codex, the day it released, like it was available for everyone to see, opened it up, went to, read through it, got to the points page, looked at the points, and the Void Weavers looked like a typo. (laughs) (laughs) And... And genuinely, the how can you make such a big mistake on that? It's it's and the thing is, most of the all of the elder stuff was pretty balanced on points. Like it, it well, was it, almost correct. It was so obvious that they were like, "Hey, what's a model that no one has ever used ever?" Or the Void Weaver. Well, let's make that good. It was so obvious that they were like trying to make a unit that had never because exactly right. It was so starkly out of place. Mm. With how uh, well pointed just about everything, except for Baharoth, he, he could go up another 100 points right, right and, now. And the, second. The, the thing <laughs> is, I hadn't received information from everyone. I was just doing my first read-through as I do, just on my own with no one else's yep. opinion. And I saw it immediately on my first read-through as a striking error. And that, and obviously it did play out to be end, end up being a massive error in the in the in the game. And I'm just that, that was my most disappointing bit, and I lost a lot of faith in the yeah. play testing and balance process of GW. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Um, okay. I'm going to button. Cause I don't know if we've covered this one. Cause I like, this is a juicy one. I'll go with Adam first. Adam, what is the, what's been the most busted army or list <laughs> at any point in time, any <laughs> list that's won a tournament? What was the most busted one? Do you think the most busted one is probably in terms of, I, okay. So for busted, it can either be like, you've got 0% chance to win or just the way it plays being completely like ludicrous or X, Y, and Z. So pick something in the justifier. So I do think it's the Void Weavers were the most okay. toxic OP, OTT, uh, a single single list of the edition. I think the Tyranid Codex was the strongest single thing of the edition. I think mm-hmm. that was the best codex was easily the Tyranid Codex. But yeah. the Void Weavers was the, the strongest, most oppressive, dumbest list, I do yeah. believe. Um I think there's there's only I think there's about f- uh, what four three or four contenders for mm-hmm. most busted, but we'll see if we cover them as as we go. All right, mm-hmm. you're going, mate. Um, man, I don't know. Orc buggies would be. I mean, obviously, Turned Codex on release was super busted. Yeah, the, like the pre points anything were like the dumbest <laughs> thing ever. Like the Meloceptor was double, so double broken. Double Meloceptors, <laughs> yeah, double Neuros, double yeah. yeah. <laughs> I played at a GT the week after that came out, and I psychicked away. My opponent, my opponent was playing Custodes, and he wasn't playing the four-up Feel No Pain. I, I was like, David, just try and beat this guy without actually charging him. I literally psychicked him off the board out of like, yes. <laughs> Dude, honestly. I, I was in the Art of Warhouse. I was in the Streamhouse when that book dropped, and we started playtesting mm. it. And seeing how quick – I've never seen – players of that caliber capitulate so quickly like john would play a turn one and people would just be like yeah we're, we're done um, yeah, yeah. It, it was, <laughs> it was, it was the most ridiculous crap anyway um, um orc buggies was uh orc buggies was probably my uh and most annoying list to play against i think because it was just dumb you know it was just orc, you know they yeah. you and they could do it on fours you know it was yeah like, yeah annoying yeah Vic. Mm-hmm. uh i mean i i think that period of time with ad mech and orcs being really really good with the flyers and the indirect fire was just the time I just stopped playing 40 K completely. I just literally left the game and just said, you guys carry on. I can't be bothered with this because this is just going to keep happening. Um, So yeah, that's probably the bit, which I think, uh, you know, broke, uh, broke me. (laughs) 
Yeah, and this is like six planes, go first, and then like... And either way, if you don't hit the admin, you'll hit the orc in direct fire, so it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting how geographically locked some of these things are. I never ran into the six Admech planes. Never ran wow. into them in, in Australia. They didn't exist. Mostly yeah. because Admech is... Um, Pretty expensive, I'd imagine. Oh, absolutely. It's so dumbly expensive <laughs> down here. That Admech is a very niche army. There's only a handful of yeah. like, they're very dedicated and actually very good Admech players down under. And I'm assuming, you know, in New Zealand as well. But, um, yeah, the fact that it's so, like, geographically locked. I did run into the buggies. I did run into... But so the big one here, the Dark Technomancer Eldar was mm, yeah. everywhere. Like, oh, yeah. everywhere, man. You couldn't... You, you should go into it. You went to a 60-player GT. You had to beat him three times, like, if you want <laughs> if you were going to win the event. And one of those guys was, like, you know, Matt Morisoli was playing that trash as well. And so, like, the best guy in the area, you're, like, was playing... Uh, it was so disgusting. Um so they're they're my contenders, by the way. Like the, the the top five contenders, I think, for the most busted thing. I think the Void Weavers, um, the pick pick whatever the the on release on release Tyranids, Freebooter Orcs, Dark Techno um, uh, Drakari, and yeah, the see I see I I didn't experience the planes, but I did experience the oops all infantry unkillable. Oh yeah, unlosable um, admech. Yeah, the hundred, the mm. hundred eighty swarm dumb shit. Yeah. Like, still somehow just tables you with shooting, but they've only got like rifles <laughs> <laughs> um, list. So I, I put that one up there as one of the five. Um, and any any would add or take away. I mean, I think that admech, that admech list is absolutely interchangeable with whatever. I think Cal when they came out um, also is yeah. probably up there, and I think those factions that we've just discussed there are all the ones which went beyond being strong and went into the realms of being broken. Um, just below that, just within the realms of being very strong, is when flamers dropped and they were too powerful. Correct, and they Correct. helped push T Suns up to that. Yeah, but even they didn't quite lip over to the broken levels of the other well, factions that we mentioned. It's, it's exactly right. It's weird. Them. It's very strange that. Um, that discussion so this this is a another another talking point we're gonna get close to closing off but you guys haven't played in other many other um editions so you don't quite know the depths and history of allies and soup that we have in the game eighth edition naturally had a lot of soup um how do you feel about ninth edition essentially going to near mono faction restrictions yeah i was um i was not i was really um I wasn't a big fan of it, to be honest with you. I remember when they released the Ark of Omen pack, uh, I was really uh, disappointed in the simplification of the detachment uh, construction, primarily because I think the complexity in the game is um, only good for the game's longevity from a competitive perspective. So I think that um, whenever they simplify things, it, it's kind of disappointing to me because it, it just means if you put that much more effort in, you, you, know, you, you get more out of it. That being said, it is a lot more clearer. So there was one instance where... You could play um, Empress Children. Someone was arguing that you could play Empress Children Flamers. and then Zinch, yeah. and yeah. then you could also get the Zinch um, secondaries or something like that. So it was like, I mean, that whole part was just a lawyering of words and whatnot, which is you know. So that's the flip side to that, right? Like you can have um, you can have complexity, but it breeds more situations like that. Um, so yeah, you know, I think where we are at the moment, Ark of Omen, you know, they could just expand it a little bit more, like that pack, that section where it just says. You can play this and this. Like that's completely fine, and they should do that. But just expand it a bit more. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. So I, I love Inquisitors. Like I have every single Inquisitor that I could really? get my hands on. Like okay. I love them. They're so cool. Do you um, have Karamazov? 
Uh, no, it's, uh, that, that's the guy on the throne, isn't it? It is. That's a shame. Do you? Do you, Adam? No, I don't. Oh, man, someone does. It's like a block of metal, isn't it? Someone does. Uh, um, and I, I look at the rules for adding Inquisitors and Agents of the Imperium to your list, and I look at the ones for 10th edition, and I think this is awesome. That's really cool, and that's a very slick way of doing it. And I see the way that you can add Harlequins to Eldar and Little Traveling Patrol. You can add Knights to your list. And I think these are very subtle little tweaks that you can make to your army um, without completely changing how they work. And I really like the ally system. I think it's very good in 9th edition. And hopefully it's qu- it looks quite similar in 10th as well. It, it, to, be, to be fair to Games Workshop, it is quite a tough design space to make airtight. Like, it's not straightforward at all because... You know, if you just say, oh, these things can mesh with these things and then you release new codexes, which is exactly what happened. You know, you get a kind of, you know, this is, you know, an earlier edition or, and this is the latest revision and they kind of conflict and clash in ways which they probably didn't intend. So um, from their perspective, you've got to give them their props there. It's, it's a tough thing to get right. Um, so, I, I mean, I would love them to be really restrictive, to be honest. I love when they restrict things, when they say, look, you can only have one Tau Commander. If there's yeah. this really powerful, heavy support choice, this is a great unit. You can only have one in your army. It's a rare choice or something. I would love to see them do more restrictive things because I think it helps a lot more with game balance than trying to balance 100 faction secondaries against yeah, each other. you got to sandbox it at some point. That, that, mm-hmm. that is, I mean... I, I've toted so many ways for G-Dub to try and balance this game over the years. You know, some of them being seasons where you just, you, you can only use certain sections of your book or like you can have like one heavy support choice for this faction this season and they change it next season, et cetera, et cetera. So stuff as wild as that because the reality is they have upwards of 20 factions Every faction has, you know, apart from Harlequins and T-Suns, has, you know, up, upwards of 15, 20, 30, in the case of freaking Space Marines, 100 data sheets. And then those data sheets have nuance and choices and options therein. It's a lot. It's a freaking mm-hmm. lot. And mm-hmm. I think the more we can sandbox it into a smaller, while still diverse and enjoyable thing, um, I think will be the better for the better. But finding that balance, finding where that sandbox is, the one that feels like we're not playing with too few things, but there's enough things that GW gets to adequately balance it, I that's just so hard to determine. So, Adam, to, to segue off that, because obviously we've got 10th edition coming out of the indexes, Like, are you hopeful that the game will be in a good state and... Like six months after, it's a long time, right? Uh, yeah. Three months, you know, three months after tenth edition is launched, do you, do you know, are you hopeful that Games Workshop will be a yeah. responsive company and it'll be in a good place, or do you think it'll take I, another two years before we get to something good? I do. So, um, in eighth edition, we did have this good period. So, on release, the codex is it was absolute s storm. Absolute <laughs> fecal matter everywhere <laughs> in, in Index 8th edition. I expect this to be that, but a little bit better. Like, I don't expect this. To, I expect it to be busted stuff, undeniably. I expect there to be issues all over the place. We're just in for the roller coaster. It is what it's going to be. There was a very nice bit of Index 40K, Index 8th edition, where it was exactly what you're saying, David. It's about the, this, it, I think it was, I think it was more like six months afterwards, but it, I, I think we could get there three months afterwards, where we had pretty much what we have now. We have a, re, a, a, a relative stability and d- decent internal, ba- decent external internal balance. Um, so I do think it's achievable quicker this time. At least the hope is. So three, like the first three months of this, I don't know if I'm going to play that much. 
in the first three months because <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to be that, you know, I mean, I'm probably, I'm, I'm going to, I'm lying right now is what I'm doing. <laughs> but as for paying a bunch of money and traveling to big events, probably not. Hanging out, playing garage games with my mates, absolutely. Um, so because- I was going to ask it. So it, like, I think as chatting to players who've played other editions, one of the common things they say is like the the edition only really gets good at towards the end of the edition, like it's golden years or it's golden part of the edition. Do you think that's true for ninth edition, or do you think we had good balance, you know, previously? And, and like Vic, I guess um, I'll, I'll hand this to Vic. Is like, do you think there was a period other than the one that we're currently in in ninth edition where the balance was like quite good? If you can think of a tournament or something like that, I think when it first started. Yes. And we had the Necron and Space Marine Codex drop, and both of them toned down from the um, 8th edition Codex. Um, we were all um, enjoying our lives a lot, I'd say. Um, uh, Death Guard was there, and Death Guard falled within that kind of low power level of everything. And the competitive scene was quite fascinating at the time. Um, so I think the very start, and actually the very end, is potentially a little bit worse because they missed the balance with Desolation Marines. Um, a little bit. So, Marines actually, in general, I, I believe they did incorrectly. The golden period was just after the first three codexes dropped uh, in in ninth edition, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think. Well, say, exactly. Funnily enough, the same what I said for eighth edition is that is like the the first. <laughs> it's the middle eighteen months, boys. <laughs> the middle eighteen months is just the absolute crazy train. Uh, for eighth and for ninth. Uh, although, uh, sorry, I will take that back for eighth. Eighth was the middle. The, so the, the the first six months was an absolute crazy in, insanity. Then we had like three to six months of good, off the rails a little bit, and then relatively good for about nine months. The WTC in 2019, the, the nine months around that meta was, I still think, the, the, the best meta we've ever had competitively. I think you could argue that... Um, the I think the Nephilim pack, the six months of the Nephilim pack, is as good or better. I think the Knockman pack was pretty good as well. Arx Amendment is relatively good as well. I think I think if they did, if they just did Marines a little better, we didn't just have Melter Rats, Space Wolves. We didn't have OP Iron Hands again. Um, if they, if they just took the top off Marines, I think this would be just as good, if not It'd better. Be perfect. Mm-hmm. It would be yeah. perfect, right? Well, um, I think at Warhammer Fist we had a very good faction representation. Uh, in the top yeah. 16, it was very, very healthy. And I think um, a lot of people in the top 16 felt that there were there was a lot of play in whatever they brought to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Iron Hands probably pipping everyone there. But, uh, you know, and Space Wolves being very strong there as well. Atari being up there as well. But I think everyone thought that they had a game um, when they came to the table uh, in that top 16. And it was really player skill that was going to push you through there. So I think that that was a good... Um, yeah, if, good if, if we can accomplish that at any point in uh, the next... Six months, hopefully. <laughs> I yes. think, um, I'll be, you know, I'll be giving them the passing grade. I think. Um, yeah, fair. The, yeah. the leeway well, is big. Just don't make it broken. It's uh, make uh, it strong, yeah, not the, broken. The, exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. Which I suppose is what I was getting at with the the Votan. Like, take away the in their their pre-release nerf. Take away the broken. Leave enough to be strong. Because what they ca- they came in and I think they're only getting results now. Like I I see them taking in decent numbers at the moment now. Like mm. it, it was. It, it, never mind. It, that, that's a. It's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna. We're gonna wrap this up. Plug yourselves, boys. Tell everybody where they can see yous, get involved with yous, enjoy yous. Go on, Dave. You got this. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm David Gaylord, and this is Vic VJ, and uh, together we host the 40K Fireside Podcast. Uh, it's more or less uh, a lot like this, where Vic and I just chat about 
our competitive experience, uh, what we've got going on, which is more or less the UK TC uh, circuit. Chat about the meta. Uh, Vic finished um, second in the world last year. I finished fourth in the world. Um, currently, the highest ELO-rated player. Um, we've got enough titles between the two of us <laughs> if you're looking for credentials. But, um, yeah, we, that's what we host, and we're part of Team Ignite, which is a recent team. Uh, we've just had the pleasure of crushing the Birmingham Teams tournament. And so, yeah, look out for us on the future. And, um, you know, we're all on Discord and stuff like that as well. So if you're ever uh, looking for us or come find us on uh, YouTube or something like that, if you want to ask, uh, ask questions or something like that as well, we're generally quite friendly people. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. There we go. Beautiful. Well, gentlemen, thank you very, very much for coming on. I do love that you admitted you just copy me. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly you, right. Yeah. You heard it here, guys. We're going to get that northern fine. hemisphere, you know? That's right. <laughs> ah, Split yeah. the world in two. <laughs> the Ignite, ne- the Ignite uh, Podcast Network. <laughs> I'll take the south. You guys keep the north. Wait a minute. The south has got like nine people in it. Anyway, uh, I, know, I know what I'm about. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Jens. You absolute stellar representatives of our community. Well done to both of you for really coming into your own as well in this edition. It's probably one of the last topics we didn't get to touch on how it was going from being, you know, players of the game to being absolute superstars of the game. But hey, it's okay. Maybe that's your maybe that's your topic for your next fireside one. But yeah. Uh, Thank you very much, boys. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy the rest of your evenings. And yeah, good luck with this 10th edition. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Take care, guys. Be well. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.